Global access to education is hinged on internet access as a portal to information. This is where UNICEF's GIGA initiative and Project Connect come into play. And they're using blockchain to do it by mapping school connectivity across the globe to narrow the digital divide amongst children across the world. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Natalie Mason. Natalie, it's great to great to be on the show and thank you for inviting uh, me and UNICEF uh, to talk today. Before we get into the great work that you're doing with Giga and Project Connect, can you talk us through your role and what UNICEF is doing in the tech space in general? I work specifically for the Office of Innovation and I focus on a lot of the blockchain work that they do. Uh, I started there as a developer a few years back and now I lead a lot of the engineering and product development efforts for our team. And so um, just at a high level, UNICEF is an organization that focuses on children emergencies around the world uh, in context of uh, vaccine distribution, helping them get uh, proper education, all that kind of stuff. And our Office of Innovation specifically looks at how different technologies can be applied to improve uh, the way that UNICEF does work uh, on the field and internally as well. Uh, in addition to, I guess, that context, over the last, I think, 10 years ago, UNICEF founded something called a Venture Fund. The fund has now scaled over the last 10 years to a 20 to $30 million fund. And the way that we're using it now is to do a lot of research at UNICEF headquarters uh, at the Office of Innovation. But this fund also invests in startups around the world that are using exponential tech in the countries that UNICEF does work with. Well, it's, it's super interesting to hear because when most people think of UNICEF, we think of the great work that you're doing with helping people specifically in underdeveloped countries around the globe. Um, but the tech aspect, something that maybe people don't know as much about. Um, one of the projects that I'd love to discuss first, if it's OK, is Project Connect. Um, yeah, so, of course. So this, this I found really fascinating because I think that obviously global access to education is hinged on internet connectivity around the globe. So let's talk mm -hmm. about how Project Connect came about and what it is. Yeah, of course. Uh, so one of the bigger initiatives that the Office of Innovation has is something called GIGA. And GIGA's mission is very simple. It wants to connect every school around the world to the internet. And so there, there's a few phases there. Uh, one of it is mapping, and that's where Project Connect kind of dives in. But then uh, Giga also focuses on raising the funds that are needed to set up the infrastructure, train people on what you know internet connectivity can do for the education sphere, um, and then also be involved around you know getting internet service providers on board, getting schools on board, and kind of being this liaison between all of the different parties that are required to get schools connected to the internet. This sounds like a huge, huge task to undertake. Uh, absolutely. There's billions of dollars that are uh, kind of getting lined up for this uh, in the coming years. And so one of the main drivers for this was actually Project Connect. And so UNICEF over the last few years has been working with a variety of different countries to, um, so governments have data for schools. Um, some of it is complete, some of it's not complete, but the idea is, uh, government gives us that data, and at a minimum, it maps where the schools are in a country. And, and some of the more complete data is it maps where the schools are, and it also identifies how much internet or how much internet they don't have uh, at that location. 
And so Project Connect's main mission is to map on a public map where all the schools are and what type of connectivity uh, from 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G uh, is available at the schools. And then this kind of fed into Giga to you know, very candidly identify to you know, uh, internet service providers and governments like, hey, this is the map of your country. Here where all the schools are. Uh, green dots identify schools that are connected to the internet very nicely. And then there's yellow and then red dots that uh, identify schools that aren't connected well, to the internet at all. What, what, one question I do have for you then is, of course, I understand that a lot of the countries that you're working in probably have issues with the internet across the board for their entire country. So how does it work in that kind of situation where there may be not, not only just data gaps, but gaps for the entire nation? Yeah, and so um, the the idea with Giga is once uh, internet is set up in schools, which are typically around a specific community, uh, it should address kind of this larger issue in a lot of these countries that have limited access to internet. So we're taking, you know, given that we're UNICEF and and we have a lot of relations with governments that are interested in doing work for children, uh, we thought this would be a, a powerful driver to get internet infrastructure in these communities that are very remote or not connected to the internet, and then kind of work around that to deliver internet services to uh, the surrounding communities and people that are involved uh, in that area. That's really amazing. And so uh, are governments quite cooperative in that case? And is that your only source of gathering this data? Um, Yeah, we we work with a lot of uh, industry partners as well. So the government at a minimum has the data that's available for schools. Uh, so a lot of that comes down to now our team validating that information. So there have been instances actually where we've received a large Excel file with data points for schools in a specific country. And then when you actually map those points out, sometimes the, the school is in the middle of a lake or it's off in the ocean or, or when you actually map it, um, there's actually nothing there. And so uh, we do a lot of work at UNICEF, but we also engage a lot of external people, um, for example, mapping companies that can actually allow us to visualize this data and maybe build uh, a faster way to validate uh, the government data that's being provided to us to identify schools. I'm really glad that you brought up validation here, because of course, that's one of the main benefits of blockchain technology, the tech's ability to provide transparency, accountability, security, and most importantly here, traceability. Mm -hmm. Let's hear about the blockchain aspect of things. Yeah, so, um, you know, our team has been looking at blockchain for a few years now, but more formally, we hired a blockchain lead about two years ago. uh, And since then, it was around the same time that I came on and we started thinking through blockchain's applications in UNICEF's context. And so our first... Uh, Project Connect at that point was pretty big. We had like six to seven countries that are uh, already mapped and a lot of other countries coming on board to get mapped as well on on the Project Connect map. And so our our blockchain team was looking at different ways that we can use the technology. And so some of the big use cases that came out of that, um, the first one being when we have a lot of information out there uh, and say there's thousands of schools in a specific country, to send someone from UNICEF and kind of have them, you know, get on a motorcycle, maybe drive around the country to validate these locations becomes very tricky. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things that we recently worked on was this, uh, it's a Project Connect game. And the idea is we actually take the data that we get from governments, load it into this um, 
I guess, mobile app. And then people can go on the app and kind of look at these maps and loosely identify, like, does this look like a school or not? Because uh, sometimes you'll map something and it's in the middle of the forest. So someone can very easily look at that and be like, oh, this is actually not a school. And, and so we're, we're built. Yeah. So we're appending more data to the data that we already have collected to actually um, create some kind of um, data set that we can use. What are some of the ways you're trying to incentivize people? We're looking at incentivization and gamification mechanisms that can be applied to this game in a way that um, encourages people to you know, get on their phone and, and do stuff. So, for example, uh, we have a bunch of maps that are available for uh, the country of Colombia. Now, can we engage a global audience by allowing them to simply go on this app, spend maybe 15, 20 minutes uh, validating maps and stuff. And then based on how many they get right or how many get they, they get wrong, can we reward them in some kind of stable coin cryptocurrency wow. for, example, for, the, for the time they put in, right? And so a lot of the challenges we get there, like how do we spin up a blockchain wallet for this user? How do we distribute this money? Um, if there are people coming on board from a global perspective, are there tax implications or, or regulatory concerns that we need to address? Um, that we have to worry about. But then quite simply, it's like, can we introduce crypto as a reward to get people to contribute to this platform? Fascinating. And of course, we at CoinGeek are huge supporters of Bitcoin SV, the original Bitcoin. I'm curious to know how you navigate which blockchains to use and which ones you've used to date. Mm -hmm. Speaking a little bit about um, what our blockchain team has uh, done work on in the past, I'd say our main explorations has been with uh, Bitcoin Core and then the Ethereum blockchain. Um, Bitcoin Core, I think it's just easy to, um, I guess, for a lot of people to understand. So the three things that our blockchain team does at UNICEF, we do a lot of prototyping, we do a lot of advisory, and we do a lot of, uh, I guess, learning. And so I think a lot of people are aware of Bitcoin and you know the white paper came out a few years ago. And so that was a very easy win for us. And then um, a lot of people are curious about smart contracts. And given that Ethereum has a, a I guess, pretty big developer community, it was, uh, a lot of the tools and use cases that have come out of that space are very tangible examples that we can share uh, mm. with our team. And so uh, last year, we actually set up a crypto denominated fund. So similar to the venture fund that we have, and we were making investments in fiat dollars. Uh, we were like, can we spin up the same vehicle to make investments in crypto uh, like Bitcoin and Ether? And so a lot of the explorations right now are initially on those two blockchains. Mm. We've been writing smart contracts, deploying smart contracts to the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, can we set up Oracle systems on the Ethereum blockchain to validate different types of information? Can we reward people uh, with stable coins that are leveraging uh, wrapped Bitcoin or stable coins, et cetera. I must say, because I know, of course, uh, Bitcoin SV is one of the blockchains that's lesser known at the moment. And obviously, there's a lot of mad internet stuff <laughs> kind of diffuses the message, which is quite sad. Um, but mm -hmm. one thing that has been in my experience over the last six months in particular is speaking to a lot of developers, whether it be for a game or a business app, and they have shared an experience with me where they've built an app on Ethereum, for example, and they've gotten to a certain mm -hmm. stage in the build and then found that because it doesn't scale, they almost yeah. can't go any further with it. Yeah, it's, it is tricky. So our, our team, uh, it does focus on prototyping. So we do have more formal teams that are in place to take 
some of the stuff that we build and drive it from a production capacity. I think the UN and UNICEF itself is still at that stage where we're validating different blockchain technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we do realize that scalability and speed is still a big limitation for blockchain tech. Uh, we, we, we share that with all of our UN agencies. We share that in the presentations and the papers that we write. Um, and I think we, we take two approaches to it. So one is like, you know, our, our team at HQ will look at a variety of different platforms. We see which ones are easiest to use, fast to spin up and quickly validate, you know, does a decentralized autonomous organization apply to some of the work that UNICEF's doing? Do payments actually become so much more improved for UNICEF's vendor procurement process? And we quickly build, you know, these rapid prototypes that are typically on test networks. So we don't face a lot of the limitations of, you know, developing applications on uh, the main Ethereum blockchain or the main Bitcoin blockchain. Um, And then I think the other approach that we take is through the country offices. So country offices are, uh, so UNICEF does have actual offices set up in a lot of the uh, countries that we do work in. And so oftentimes they're also doing their own blockchain explorations and, you know, maybe they're exploring things with Bitcoin SV. And so then they'll come to us and be like, hey, you know, we want to do a use case specifically with that technology and let's build something. And they'll drive a lot of that. And then our team will advise like, okay, here are the things you need to look out for. Um, and so we're not prescriptive and we're willing to do research in that capacity. But uh, we haven't had actually a BSV project uh, come up yet, but our team is open to you know, exploring different blockchains if, if the use case is right. Well, you know, hopefully that's something that we can explore further in that case. And after the call, I'll definitely pass you some links and hopefully put you in touch with some people. You know, we do want to dive into all of these different blockchains and see what each one is doing. Um, So, yeah, happy to look at the links and explore further. And if there's a country office ever working on BSV, like our team is more than open. Love that. It's really awesome. And, And what are some of your favorite successes then that you've seen while you've been at UNICEF with this project? Uh, I would say the biggest one was setting up our crypto denominated fund. Uh, so we, we got, um, I think last year it, we went to DEF CON, we launched the crypto fund, and then we took the crypto that we received in Bitcoin and Ether, and we made investments into three, three startups in three different countries. And then since then, uh, we've made uh, 700K in investments to seven blockchain startups. And then I think almost 300 or $400,000 worth of crypto in additional startup investments, not only in blockchain startups, but in startups that are working with machine learning, with augmented reality, uh, with virtual reality, because I think there is starting to have, like there is this global interest in using crypto and paying people. Uh, we, we had a very interesting story come out of Argentina where one of our startups were like, you know, our, our currency is deflating, but we're able to use Bitcoin to hire competitive uh, competitively because Bitcoin is still, you know, staying stable uh, versus their uh, uh, local currency. And so this Argentinian startup is using Bitcoin to hire people from around the world so that they can continue the work that they're doing, even if their government's currency is a little bit volatile. Obviously, there's a huge divide right now in the world. If we look at children in particular, um, mm-hmm. of, of people who've got tech going on in the classrooms, even you see it in, in first world countries, let alone developing the developing world. So what are mm-hmm. some of the most important points of, of getting tech where it's needed the most? That, that's a very interesting point. Uh, one of the first things I learned was uh, a lot of people don't have uh, smartphones, they don't have computers, or if they do have something like that, it's usually one person in the family, typically a male that 
you know, has control of the computer or the phone. And for me to start at UNICEF under that uh, presumption, I was like, wow, that really sucks. And so um, there are companies that we've worked with or we've talked with in the past that are looking to uh, fix that last mile problem, um, as they call it. So um, recently I went to a conference with um, IDEO. And so they're doing a lot of work uh, interviewing these people in these remote countries or underdeveloped countries or emerging countries to see like, okay, you know, what if the female of the household had a phone? Um, what if we had maybe a plastic card uh, as a blockchain wallet instead of them having to rely on um, a dedicated phone per person? And so they're looking into a lot of these different solutions that leverages some of the research that we're doing at UNICEF, that leverages a lot of the uh, emerging tech that's coming out um, through venture funds and all that kind of stuff, and then taking it to that last mile uh, user as well. So. It's it's still a challenge, but um, you know we we focus on UX and user user design so that ultimately these complicated technologies are distilled down to a point where anyone can use them. I think to non tech heads, a lot of blockchain language can seem um, like literally speaking another language. So, what are some of the things you're doing to bridge this gap? and be able to communicate the message um, even, even in different countries that, that you're working in? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a big issue around like tech literacy first, and then for our team to even dive down a bit deeper and give, give the, the literacy around blockchain is also very challenging. Um, there's a lot of complicated uh, areas that need to be tied together to explain crypto and blockchain and wallets and and being someone that is that has custody over their own uh, wallets, I think has been tricky. But I think we've gotten a few things uh, in flight. We actually have this program called Surge. And the idea is we'll go to a specific country, we'll set up like a two or three day event, and we'll build like a hackathon or a learnathon or, or a designathon where the first half of the event will explain some of the blockchain fundamentals, we'll engage ecosystem players that are doing blockchain work in that area to also give talks. And then we have the, the youth, typically from like 16 to 25, uh, build solutions that are actually relevant in their area. And so that way they have a more practical and tangible experience with blockchain. And so then they can get uh, familiar that way. And it's one thing to also engage, I guess, the local community. I think the, uh, the youth, they get it. You know, they, they grew up with the internet. They, they probably had one or two smartphones in their house or, or a bunch of laptops or desktops. Uh, I think another challenge is, is actually working with the uh, UNICEF offices that are on the ground so that they can also enable themselves to correspond with their communities uh, in this very technical capacity as well. Do you know how many countries UNICEF works in? Yeah, uh, actually I do. It's it's 100. I think it's more than 190 countries around the world. Uh, I think we have offices in 130 country off, like countries and then we do our groundwork in uh, almost 190 countries. Yeah. See, this is so impressive because I think that's almost what it takes is you guys already have the embedded network there yeah. ready to actually make change. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so we understand what blockchain is. Let's get it down to a point where now we can explain it very easily to 100 different or 190 different stakeholders that have different understanding of uh, crypto, blockchain technology, et cetera. And so it's an interesting challenge. Each country has their own take. They need information presented in their own ways. They have different initiatives already in flight. And so it's like, how do we tag along or introduce something new? 
Um, a lot of senior stakeholders are involved, which is very encouraging to see as well. And then they're able to mobilize very quickly. And so, yeah, I think the network effect is huge. And a lot of people ask, what does the UN do? And it's like they leverage networks to get stuff done. And it's great to see that from the inside too. Wow. So what, what have you got in the pipelines over the next few years? So I think from a UNICEF perspective, it's um, scaling our crypto fund more. So uh, this year we, we made a lot of investments. We're starting to get results back to see how people are using these investments in crypto. So are more and more people getting wallets? Are people willing to accept salary in crypto? Uh, once they have the crypto, are they participating in the decentralized finance space? We're starting to get a lot of that info. And so then we'll leverage that in some capacity. Uh, we're looking into smart contracts more and more. Um, we're, you know, we've done a lot of work on test networks, but we want to now you know, create uh, maybe a decentralized autonomous organization and see if we give uh, a certain country a bunch of money, can they generate funds from that, hire people from that and capture decisions on this DAO? Um, so that's kind of one area that we're, we're very curious about and we're going to see what happens. I think a lot of this um, will also tie very closely into Giga. I hope it's not a silly question. What does Giga stand for? Oh, it's literally just Giga. All right. <laughs> it's, just... it's not in a... No, even, even I asked the same thing. So actually, <laughs> um, 30 years ago, there was an initiative called Gavi. And so Gavi was the Global Alliance uh, for Vaccines Initiative. And so what they did with that, so it started at UNICEF as well, and they got a bunch of countries to commit billions of dollars so that UNICEF could purchase vaccines at scale and then at a cheap price and then distribute that so that people aren't getting, you know, I guess, killed with the high prices that vaccine companies want to charge yeah. um, all these countries. So Giga, I think the only connection to Gavi is that it starts with a G, wants to apply that same model for internet bandwidth. So UNICEF wants to buy a bunch of gigabytes and then distribute that in schools. Well, that was like the initial idea. And so now it's turned into something a little bit more elaborate, but that was like the ideation of it. I love that. It's amazing from that seed what has happened in, in such a small space of time. I'll just end off asking you if there's anything that you'd like people to know. Yeah, I think um, user experience is big. I think a lot of blockchain companies right now, they focus on people that are already tech savvy, people that are you know, scrolling through Twitter 10 hours a day. Uh, I don't think that's the audience that crypto really empowers. Um, I think those people already have access to financial tools. They, they don't have an issue um, getting an education and keeping that education. I think there needs to be a lot of work that needs to be done in countries that we're not thinking about. And, you know, UNICEF is one team that's doing work in all these countries, but I think it'd be good to see more and more startups and blockchain companies um, hire dedicated teams that focus on bringing these amazing technologies on the ground uh, and, and thinking the same challenges that we're thinking on. Oh, what if they don't have a cell phone? What if they don't have smartphones? Like we would appreciate a lot of more brain power and I think that'll accelerate things uh, more and more. Thank you so much, Mehran. I wish you and your team at UNICEF the best of luck with your projects. Thank you, Natalie. Here's hoping we see a UNICEF project on the Bitcoin SV blockchain in the near future. Thanks again to Mehran Haideri. We have a super special lineup next week. Join us as we take a look back at moments of 2020 and say goodbye to a crazy year. See you then.